0: Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Mike Perry, and I'm here with the Iron Cardio legend, Brett Jones. (laughs) Brett, how are you today, my friend?
1: Fantastic. Uh, A little jet lag, but uh, me at 50% is
0: uh, still pretty good. 60% of the time, it works every time. That's right. Excellent. Um, We are going to cut right to the chase, and we're going to talk about uh, group training and sort of small group training. And group mm-hmm. training, talking about, let's say classes, like kettlebell classes in general, and then small group training where a coach is working with three to five individuals. And we can talk about programming ideas. We're going to tra- talk about culture, um, kind of do's and don'ts, the reasons why we, we structure programs the way we do. But the first thing we're going to talk about is sort of creating a culture. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to let Brett start with that. So Brett, <clears throat> drop us some knowledge bombs, my friend.
1: I'll do my best. Um, I, I think that you know, because as instructors we can get very wrapped up in the programming, um, and being a kettlebell studio or a yoga studio or a you know whatever sort of specialty studio, uh, which is fine. Um all of the, but even even beyond the tools, there's this concept of having a culture for um for your facility. Um uh, Dan Senadoza who has a strong first uh, accredited gym in in the Baltimore area. You know, he, he puts it out there right up front. We do not do physique transformations. If you would like to go do that, there is somebody else that does that. We are a strength training gym. You know, we're going to run things in a way that we're going to prioritize strength and we're going to prioritize skill. And um, if you're looking for physique transformation, you find someplace that does that. Uh, Mark Fisher. Has a, a very successful um, template where it's uh, it's a little on the the very far polar opposite of, a, of strong first. It's uh, he gets you know they have dance parties where he's in a, a unicorn outfit and uh, there's uh, a lot of fun that's had in different music and and uh, you know that's the culture of that business. So deciding how you want that culture. Uh, is going to help determine what students you get. You know, some people are going to walk into um, um, Danny Sawaya's gym in um, Arizona. And he's very much a powerlifting gym and uh, powerlifting kettlebells, dumbbells, uh, very much a strength, again, very much a strength training gym. Um, there's people that are going to walk in there and they're expecting some selectorized equipment and, um, you know, card, cardio machines and things like that. And they're going to probably turn around and, and head back out because the, the culture of that gym has kind of been baked in. Um, you should probably spend more time baking in the culture of what you want to do before you even worry about the sets, reps, programmings, ups, you know, th- things of that nature. Um, if if it's very personality based, if you leading the class with your personality is the secret sauce, and that can be fine, it just means you need to be there, or you need to finally crack the code on cloning and uh, make sure that a second you can work the you know the ten hours out of a day that it's going to take to to push things forward, um, and so. At a certain point, as you want to grow, um, you probably have to move away from the personality-based success and into this grander idea of having a culture that people walk into and they're like, "I'm home. I, I like this. I-, I like the. I like the coaching. I like the queuing. I like the perspective. I like um, that. You know, in certain the culture of certain uh, gyms." um the current members become mentors to the new members and you know it's an open thing where they're 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 helping each other and coaching each other and that's supported by the person running the class um so what's your culture and a lot of times when you throw that out to uh to, to trainers and and people that are establishing a facility or maybe trying to move more in the direction of small group or move in the direction of more classes um, you can lock them up real quick by saying, okay, well what what's your what's your culture? Um, you've got a, a great facility there um, and, and some great members, great great different classes. You've got youth, uh, sport fit uh, focused classes. you have older you have adult kind of movement based classes. you have adult barbell kind of classes. you have a, you know kettlebell classes. But I'm sure there's an overarching, SOS culture that leads the charge there um, did, did you just uh, open the doors and the culture appeared or how did you how did you put that into place?
0: Um, that's a great question. So I, I think um, the way that SOS was really born is I was working at another facility and I created an adult group training program there and that was sort of my proof of concept. And, um, at, when I left, there were about 40 to 50 members that were, you know, consistent at that, that other facility. And I decided to leave and, and, and open up SOS. And, um, it's funny, I, I, sort of handed off that program to someone else. And within a few months it was completely gone. And at that point I knew that there was something special. So, you know, my, my idea, um, when it came to designing a program for, for SOS was, um, to make the quality of coaching and the queuing uh, to, to, and programming to the best of my ability and let the results speak for themselves, but do it in a way that promotes uh, safe training um, and in a way that, that promotes results, but in a way that is not going to be this in your face, we're going to try to murder one another and just try to just kick everyone's asses. That's not what we did. And I, I think early on, people understood that we do it a certain way. And if you don't like that way, that's okay. But then the gym's not going to be for you. And, you know, I think one of the things that I've really sort of embraced over the last, I would say few years is, you know, when I first started SOS, let me backtrack a little bit. When I first started SOS, I was always like, this is what we are. This is what we are. And now I say, this is what we aren't. And it was kind of like what you said about Dan. It's like, we're, we're not a transformation gym. We're not the type of gym that's going to murder you with volume. Um, We don't just make up stuff on the fly. We actually have thought that goes into everything that we do from the way that we evaluate our clients, to the way that the warmup is, to the way that the strength training is laid out, to the exercise selection, to the metabolic conditioning, to the core. Everything that we do has a purpose. So I always ask myself, why am I putting something in a program? And if I can't answer that question, then it shouldn't be in the program. So for me, it was just about um, quality, intelligent strength training that is progressive over time. And I wanted to create a model that would be good for just about everybody, but also we're not that gym. That's just going to murder you. And that's the one thing I I tell people, like if people like the workout, isn't hard enough, then I'm like, well, then if the workout's not hard enough, then you're not working hard enough. And that's really what it's about because anybody can create a workout, and, and we've seen it. I mean, there's apps where you can roll dice and you can flip cards and you can do 10 burpees and 10 squats and five pushups. And you can create this sort of mishmash of, of, of stuff, but over time, it's not going to work because you'll eventually get burnt out because you're essentially doing the same thing over and over again. So we wanted to create something that was a little bit more intelligent and actually followed a systematic approach. And, um, it started off very, very organically and things have changed over the years and the way that we program, but the underlying theme is let's try to get people to move. Well, we know that if we can get them to move well, that's going to improve their quality of life. And if we can get them to get stronger in an intelligent fashion, that's also going to be beneficial. And also if we can drive heart rate and we can, you know, improve their overall general physical preparedness and use specific exercises that will accomplish that, but be very, very joint friendly. Then I think we've got a pretty good recipe and that's really what we've done over the years. So I think that's really the the secret sauce for us is just in my book it's just smart intelligent strength training over and over and over again and um, you know for some people they think it's too easy but at the same time it's like well if it's too easy you're expecting something different and I think we've grown more and more confident as to what our product is over time and um, I'm actually in the process of writing a blog about what we aren't and and uh, and I'm really excited about it because. I don't want people to sign up for our gym that just want to come in and get murdered. Like if you want to get your ass completely kicked and you don't care about technique, you don't care about form, you have a big ego, please go somewhere else. I want you to go somewhere else because I'm not going to argue with you. You're coming to my facility because you can't do this on your own. You're hiring us to help you in that journey. And that's what we're going to do, but it's not going to happen overnight, especially if you have, you know, a a boatload of injuries uh, that you're, you're managing, right. Or you move like absolute trash. Like these things take time, but if you don't care about that stuff and you just want to get your asses kicked, there's plenty of gyms that'll take your money and do that. That's not us. And I think everything that we do from a social media standpoint to the blogs that we've written in the past to our social media really follows that same path.
1: I want to, yeah, excellent. I, I wanted to go back and capture just a couple of things. Um, your original proof of concept that did not make the transition between, you know, two two individuals or multiple individuals teaching it um, <clears throat> might indicate that initially there was some personality based stuff. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of people that liked you and what the product that you were producing, um, and that, that's a starting point for a lot of things. Um, so I, I, I'm not pointing that out as a, as a good or bad thing. It's just uh, to highlight that, uh, for the, the trainer, I, I've had this conversation over the past 20 plus years, had the conversation plenty of times where a successful group class instructor or something like that is going to, um, you know, I I'm ready to open my next two or three facilities. And it's like, uh, cause unless you've cloned yourself. Uh, And if all you have is your personality, personality can be powerful, but if all you have is your personality, when you're not there to teach classes, there's something else going on, unless you've been very clear about the culture and how you want things done. And I know you actually do a lot of staff development and spend time with your trainers, uh, you know, really guiding them through this process and things that the way you want it done um, you know, Gordon Ramsay doesn't just bring chefs into his kitchen and go, okay, cook however you want. Um, he brings chefs into his kitchen that can replicate his recipes. And if anything, add to what is already an elite product. And I, I think uh, that sort of attitude as far as a, a facility owner or somebody that's running a group class group exercise program, you know, the idea is this is how we do things. If I bring you in, it's because you can do that. Uh, and people like you <laughs> coming back to one of our previous podcasts and talking about, you know, personal training and uh, you, you got to have a personality uh, and people got to enjoy, trust you and enjoy spending time with you because they're, they're investing a lot in, in making this happen. Group exercise has been a top 10 fitness trend for the last what 25 years, 30 years. Uh, and it continues to be a trend all the time because there's this culture Uh, aspect and there's this uh, socialization aspect um you know there's when an instructor has things so narrowed down to where it's about them and it's about their programming when people come in and have this kind of social aspect they're like oh you talk too much um you know I, i was just with mike souza in um in in the uk teaching and uh he jokes uh, jokes a lot with his clients and, you know, a couple of clients will start getting into something. He'll go, Oh, all, right, all right. Hey, it's not jaw day at the gym. <laughs> and so he'll, he'll pull them back in and get them refocused and, and, you know, but do it in a really joking manner. And I mean, you know, Mike's yeah, 6'2" 25, two thirties, just a real small guy. And, <laughs> uh, but, and he has this, he has a big personality Big voice, big body. You know, he, he can command a room when he wants to. And uh, you know, when, when he jokes around with his clients, like, oh, hey, Bob, it's not Jaw Day at the gym. Um, you know, it's it's to refocus people and and but it's baked into the culture. That mm-hmm. joke is used frequently enough to where people know it's coming when they start getting a little too mouthy, but yet he has this really good social interaction within his gym. And so I'm sure you know of people that have joined your gym and become friends. Uh, on, yeah. on the, on the backside of that. So, um, I, I just, I wanted this to be the starting point, not sets, reps, warm ups, you know, things of that nature, because I think it's skipped so many times. Um, I was several, I don't know how many years ago I was on a podcast or a group chat group, group talk with, uh, really is a bunch of, uh, chiropractors. And chiropractors are famous for setting up the facilities and having some sort of wellness component, gym component, you know, things like that attached. And uh, they're like, was well, there anything else we need to know? I'm like, yeah, what's what's the culture of your facility going to be? And it was crickets. Like um, it, it it really you, know, you want to be the fun place. You want to have disco night and you want to have costume parties and you want to, you know, you want to have this kind of social Slash kind of goofy vibe where things are kind of a little uh, I don't know wacky uh, for lack of any better term. Cool, you may and likely will find a group of people that are looking for that. Cool, you want to be the more martial arts kind of place where bow to your sensei. Um, <laughs> sorry, if you can throw a Napoleon Dynamite in, throw a Napoleon Dynamite in, break the wrist, walk away. Um. But yeah, I mean, if you want to be more martial artsy, you want to be uh, a martial arts master-ish kind of teacher with students, um, cool. Uh, if you want to be kind of middle of the road, um, you want to be more focused on the programming, um, skill acquisition, What whatever you decide your culture is going to be. Uh, two things that override all of that, be kind slash nice and clean. Those two things will take care of a lot of customer service things that, that, that you're uh, perhaps going to struggle with, especially as your facility grows and you bring more people on. Um, So I'm going to kind of take a break. uh...
0: (laughs) Well, it's about time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Exactly. But it's funny you mentioned culture because, you know, we do have a, we do have a culture at SOS. We like to have fun, but at the same time, um, you know, I always say to my my coaches and and I use people like uh, use the idea of, hey, like Mike Boyle, Eric Cressy, you know, Gray Cook, the biggest names out there. You know, I said, listen, if if one of those guys came in and they were they were judging you as a coach, how would you do? I never use my name because I, I don't I don't even like to be called a boss. It's a weird thing for me. I just we're, we're all colleagues and we work together. But you know, if you had a job interview and you were trying to, you know, work as the, the top coach for Eric or for for Boyle or Gray Cook or all these really, really outstanding, outstanding coaches what would that look like? And, and I said, that's, that's my expectation is that you're always going to be on your A game. And is is it a high expectation? Yes. But at the same time, that's the type of expectations I have for my gym. Um, I didn't go into this to be mediocre. I, I went into this to try to create the best facility that we can. And, um, we do have a culture and, uh, it's, it's important that everybody sort of follows these similar guidelines. And, you know, one of the things that we do early on, especially if we have people that are interviewing is we look at their social media because there's just certain things that, you know, we don't prefer at our gym. And if you're on your social media account and you're doing exactly the opposite of the things that we preach, then you're just probably not going to be a good fit for us. And listen, it's not that I don't like you or don't think that you're talented, but that's just not us. Like if I see you on your social media and every other word out of your mouth is dropping a bunch of F-bombs, you're probably not going to fit in at our facility. It's just how it is, right? That's just not us. I'm not saying that you're a bad person. That's just not us, right? You know, if you're a male or a female and you spend all your time just showing off your body and wearing, you know, you're half the time you're not even wearing clothes, that's just not us. And again, that's Brett. That's one of the reasons why Brett won't work for me because he's always wanting to walk around in his spandex. Um, But no, but seriously, like those aren't bad things. They just, they're not going to fit in with the culture of SOS. But at the same time, we do have this culture where um, we're going to be real with people, right? We're going to, we're going to expect people uh, to you know, to do the things that we ask them to do, because we know what's best for them when it comes to a strength and conditioning standpoint. And if they, you know, if they don't want to do it, then it may not be, uh, the facility for them, or we're going to call them on their BS because, uh, we just, we don't have time for egos. And if you know so much about strength and conditioning, you don't need us go somewhere else. And, uh, you know, that's my big thing when people are like, how come I can't back squat? Cause I'm like, well, look at when you do back squat, you're coming in, we're in your Nike shocks. Um, you're all on your toes. You have zero ability to center your body. Like you can't even do a quarter squat, but you're trying to throw 225 on there. And it looks like absolute trash. I'm going to say, put that away, you know, get rid of those crappy shoes. Let's try to improve your mobility. I'm going to give you a 35 pound kettlebell, and I'm going to ask you to go as deep as possible with a nice rigid spine. And you're going to get way more benefit out of that. But if you can't take that type of coaching, I'm coaching to get you better. I'm not coaching to inflate your ego. Now, if you want your ego inflated, go elsewhere. And and that's the thing, like, I'm going to call you on your stuff. And if your trap bar deadlift looks like crap, I'm going to say, cool. Like, yes, you can lift 400 pounds really poorly. But if you decide to do that over time, you're going to be visiting our friends next door, who's a physical therapy clinic, because you decided that lifting heavy weight improperly is more important than um, having a healthy body. And, um, and I think one of the reasons why we've been so successful over the years, and we've actually been able to pair up with hospitals and we have a brand new physical therapy clinic next to us that reached out to us and we're, we're collaborating with them. And it's fantastic is because we care about our clients being healthy and moving better because we know that moving better is going to fix a lot of those musculoskeletal issues. And we know that, training in a smart fashion and not just murdering yourself is going to give you a better quality of life. And that's what we care about. And, um, you know, if you just show up at our gym and you work hard and you, you listen to our great coaches, you're going to do really, really well. But the second you think your ego is more important, you're going to probably end up hurting yourself. And there are a handful of people that still train with us that they go out there and they just, they keep on, you know, just trying to work through these injuries that they never want to take the time to fix, or they don't really care. They just, you know, you know, my, my hip hurts. I'm just going to keep going. Well, that's not doing anybody any good. And you know, if you have to just pound ibuprofen all the time, that's not what we're trying to do here. So, you know, at a certain point, the the cool thing is people will actually weed themselves out of our facility. And, um, there's been times when people have left, and I've been happy about that because they just aren't a good fit. And, um, You know, I want members that are going to embrace the process and listen to us because we've got a hell of a team, and our coaches are doing a really, really good job, and I'm grateful for them. But we all we all think, and we're all on the same page, and um, that's where I think the magic happens. We're not guru based. We're not the Mike Perry gym. I never wanted it to be that. I wanted to try to create a a group of people that are like minded that want to help and that care about the quality of what we're doing, and and to me. That is sort of the overarching theme, and what we try to accomplish at our gym.
1: Awesome, and I think you know having that in place, not trying to be all things to all people. Um, you know, you're not going out to the 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 person that wants to get murdered and saying, "Yeah, sure, we can do that too." Um, you're you're specific, and like Dan saying, it, it would be like him bringing somebody in and go, "Oh yeah, I'll take that six week challenge person that wants to lose twenty pounds." Um, that's, and, and I, nobody comes to me for that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I think some pretty clear, uh, expectations, you know, have, have been set and, um, that what you just said about, you know, sometimes it's good when somebody moves along. I, I was an athletic training student and, um, I would have athletes walk in the room and say, I want anybody in the room accept brett to take me and then the next person in the room would walk in and go i only want brett to take me and you figure out real quick okay all good like that's this is this is okay um we're not all things to all people um and when you try to be you're usually lacking uh, yeah in, in that conversation so if we move beyond the the culture conversation let's talk modalities for just a second because, you know, I mean, I'll be honest, if I was setting up a gym, it'd be a kettlebell gym. Um, I know a little bit about it. I think I'm pretty good at coaching people at it. I think I can put together good classes and good individual sessions. And so, like, for me, I would probably put together a kettlebell gym. Um, Danny Swiah loves powerlifting. He has barbells and monoliths. And, you know, um, uh, he's definitely, you know, leaned in in the direction of powerlifting um, you know, there's Pilates studios, there's yoga studios, there's Zumba, you know, whatever, um, you know, the, the modality can matter and the modality cannot matter. Uh, I look at SOS and I see a, I see a gym where maybe modality doesn't matter so much because if somebody comes in, it could be a dumbbell routine, could be barbell, could be body weight, could be athletic base, could be kettlebell, could be Uh, so was there a decision-making process in your mind of whether you were going to be a kettlebell gym or multimodality, uh, gym?
0: Well, so early on, you know, we originally, we thought about doing kettlebells only, but then I realized if you, and this is just my opinion. So anybody that has a kettlebell only gym, please don't email me with a nasty email. Cause I'm not going to answer it anyways, cause I hate email, but anyways, so we decided I didn't want to be just a kettlebell gym only. And here's why, um, because let's be honest, there aren't too many people that just want to train with kettlebells and we wanted to reach a broader audience, a broader audience. So we decided that yes, we were going to offer kettlebell classes and kettlebell training, but it was going to be part of our group training program um, because, you know, we wanted to offer other things, um, you know, and, and one of the things that I wanted to really create was, Um, a training program that would offer sort of the best GPP that we could give people a little bit of mobility, right? Get them to move a little bit better Um, program in a way that is going to get them stronger in the safest way possible. And sometimes that's with a kettlebell. Sometimes that's with a dumbbell. Sometimes it's with a barbell. It just really depends. And, um, and then start to choose various modalities that we can, we can use from a metabolic conditioning standpoint that would drive heart rate, that would give people a great workout. That would be really, really easy on their joints because, you know, when it comes to working with adults, everybody has something, everybody's got an old injury, right? They've got a cranky knee or they've got, you know, an ankle or shoulders or something. So, um, it wasn't really necessarily modality based. It was program based. And what we tried to do was say, Hey, if we are using uh, an inverted row and that's one of the exercises that we want to program we know that it's easy to coach and you know what can we use we can use a TRX and we could use some rings we know that the you know general amount of people are going to do better with that exercise versus a bent over row because now you have a pretty deep significant hip hinge and it's just a lot harder to nail that posture down than an inverted row so the exercises do matter. The implements do matter, but it's all how you pair them together and create a systematic approach to, to training individuals.
1: Absolutely. Um, and, and just to kind of, um, somewhat related, but different conversation is that if you're the small group person working with three to five people at a time versus the class person, 10, 15, 20 people at a time, there's differences that are going to show up in your exercise selection because if you got 20 people going at once, you've either got to have an experienced group that's done all those exercises before and have been coached up on them really well, or you're not going to use exercises like that. You know, one of Coach Boyle's filters that I've interpreted—maybe he would correct me—is uh, you know if I can't get 20 to 30 high school kids doing this well within a short period of time, it drops off the list. Um, whereas the small group person is working with three to five people, you know, probably consistently over a period of time, your opportunity to coach those people up, make those form corrections and really use higher skill exercises is very different. Um, and I know, I, I, I think that that's, um, you know, as you're setting up your facility or, or you're looking at expanding from a personal trainer being one-on-one to small group, um, there's, there's some considerations there for how you're going to put those groups together, uh, and decisions that you would make in class. When I was teaching classes out at, uh, in San Diego, we would have five to seven people sign up on the online platform. We'd have 17 people show up for class. And as a studio that's, you know, trying to get started, trying to make it, you're not kicking people out. Oh, get out of here, Bob. You didn't sign up online. Uh, Judy, what, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here now. No, you, you take who comes through the door and you give them a good experience. So like I got really good slash bad about, um, you know, just, I would make it up when the people got there and I would do a lot of, uh, I think i mentioned this and maybe before, but I do a lot of quote, victim's choice sort of programming, just go around the room, Judy, what do you want to do today? And Bob and, you know, invariably somebody's going to pick the exercise everybody loves. Somebody's going to pick an extra rest period. Somebody's going to pick the exercise that everybody hates, uh, and so you you get this really kind of interesting mix and in social interaction when you when you do this. But I think the other thing, and maybe this is a left turn, but you give people uh, ownership, and you don't want to, you don't want the inmates running the asylum. You're not turning over control of the of the class of the of the small group or class. But what you're saying is, hey, you're involved in this process. Yeah. I don't know anything that I've ever done that I've had a stake in, that I've had input in, that, I, that I've that I've had the ability to drive at least part of the machine. I'm way more engaged in that than when I'm just being told what to do. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. part of the reasons, yeah. Part of the reasons iron cardio and intuitive training is that I might not do that well with being told what to do. I don't, I don't know. My psychologist
0: hasn't come up with an answer on that. <laughs> well, it's actually funny you say that because, um, when we are doing some of our metabolic conditioning work, um, you know, the way that we do it, we, we limit our groups to 12 people. Um, that was actually one blessing of COVID. If there was anything good about COVID is, you know, we, we, we never capped, the size of our classes, and sometimes on the weekends we could have 25 people in a class, and you have to run it differently when you have 25 people. You just have to versus 10 to 12. And um, th- the good thing about COVID is we decided, well, we had to limit the amount of people due to, you know, how many people we were allowed to have into the gym when when gyms were allowed to reopen, and capping it at 12 was really really good for us because it allowed us to program in a certain way and. Um, you know, for example, when we do metabolic conditioning, a lot of the times we would say to people, Hey, listen, we're going to have 12 people and we're going to have four groups of three. And, uh, you have, you know, you have options here. You could do, you know, swings every 30 seconds. You could do bike intervals for this. You could do, you know, uh, you know, row for time, ski for time, or you could do sled work and you pick, you know, you pick the ones that you want to pick. We're going to give you six but you pick the three or four that you wanna do so people can have options. And the good thing about that is, let's say you're doing jump rope. Right, and jump rope is one of the options. Well, some people love jump rope. Other people like I never want to do jump rope. You get a female postpartum, you know, maybe a little bit of pelvic floor issues. Bouncing around in a jump rope isn't going to be the best scenario for them right away. So maybe jumping rope isn't good for them. But doing some light sled push drags is going to be a great option. So one of the things that we try to do is is give them a little bit of variety, but not too much because if you give them fifteen different options, then you're trying to coach fifteen different things, and then the quality of coaching just goes down the tube because you're trying to coach so many different things at once. So I think options are good, but not too many because then you find yourself trying to just coach too many different things at once and it doesn't go well. 100%.
1: I love it. Um, You know, and then finally, maybe talk just a little bit about the the sets, reps, the programming because all of everything else in my mind, everything else that we've talked about comes first. Um, the, the sets reps, like, is it important? Yeah. It's not more important than everything else we've just talked about, because if the culture of your gym doesn't work for anybody and you can't get people in to take your classes, uh, the sets and reps kind of don't matter. Uh, if you don't give options and people feel excluded and, 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 you know, like if, if you haven't nailed that culture aspect, that working with people aspect, small group versus class, you know, um, providing options and, and account of ownership and, and things like that. Um, I I don't know that the programming matters. Um, and I say this because there are so many different successful group exercise situations. Could be Zumba, could be yoga, could be Pilates, could be kettlebell, could be barbell, might be body weight, but, you know, just take your pick. Um, so I, I think that, you know, now we get to... Where most people want to start, which is their their sets and reps, and you know, from a group group class perspective, uh, sometimes individual perspective, and certainly small group, um, you you had, you got your blocks right. You've got your blocks within this time frame. You're gonna you're gonna pardon me do some sort of warm up slash movement prep. You're probably gonna go into and this this was the the original CrossFit papers where it was. You know, some warm up, uh, some sort of gymnastics, body weight skills, some sort of uh, strength skill, and then a metcon um, is not the worst. You know, model in the world. Uh, you can look at that as warm up, movement, skill, strength, and then conditioning. Um, you're gonna put your blocks together uh, that coordinates the class. Um, I think there should be a focus towards strength, um, and so. Just in talking about the blocks and everything, uh, any different perspective or ways that you look at those?
0: Yeah, so I'll actually kind of walk people through the exact process that I use um, because I don't mind sharing it. Because even if I tell you exactly what we do, there's no way you're going to be able to replicate what we do just because you know it's it's just different, right? There's there's just a different vibe. But um, when it comes to our warm up, um, you know, we we spend a lot of time on ankle mobility hip mobility and uh, thoracic spine and shoulder mobility. And here's why, um, listen, I've been teaching for FMS for six, seven years. And we see that the majority of the people that have mobility restrictions have ankle shoulders and hip hip mobility restrictions. So we're going to build those right into the warm up to try to catch as many people as possible. So we spend a lot of time trying to, to focus on those things. Um, and then from there, uh, We, we, we start off with a strength block. That's usually what we do, um, in, in our, in the majority of our classes. And usually our, our first block is, is three exercises. Um, it's usually a, uh, you know, a lower body compound exercise and an upper body push and a pull. And, uh, you know, it could be deadlift. It could be paired with a a single arm dumbbell row. Um, and it could be paired with a, a neutral grip pull-up or a chin-up, and um, we're going to do three to four sets depending on the class. And we're going to give people some sets and reps ranges. And, and one of the things that we try to do is, um, we try to program it. So one month will lead into the next. So for example, if month one, you know, we're doing deadlifts, we may go, you know, month one, four by six month two uh, four by four, and then month uh, three, four by two. And, and it's a basic linear program, but it gives people exposure to the same exercises. And then as we, we coach them, we try to give them ideas on what they should be doing, you know, week to week as far as increasing weight. And, you know, based off of, you know, how did that feel or how many more you could do? We, we give them on the fly some recommendations. Of if, if I, you know, if we're doing a four by six and they're, and I say to them, Hey, how many more could you do with that weight? And they're like seven, eight. And I'm like, well, then you need to increase the weight a little bit as long as their form looks good. So I think the sets and reps are important, but I think, the communication with your client within the training session is actually more important than the sets and reps now whether you want to use a pre or you want to use uh, which is perceived rate of exertion which is usually on a scale of 1 to 10 10 being hard 1 being easy um you want to ask how hard was that if if it was a 2 well you're probably going to have to you know ask them to go a little bit heavier or if you want to use rir which is repetitions and reserve hey with that weight how many more reps could you have gotten? And if they say one to two, cool, that's probably a pretty good way. But if they say four to five, then uh, you need to you need to go up a little bit because if you want to get stronger, you have to stress the system to, in order to get that that adaptation. And I think that is even more important than, the sets and the reps, the sets and the reps are important because you can, you know, you're not going to start off someone in my book with a four sets of 20 deadlift. That's just, it's not going to happen. Um, so I think there are certain sets and rep ranges that lend themselves to certain exercises. Um, but in general, we try to go in in that sort of high to low method where we start with a little bit higher volume to expose them to a little bit more volume in general. So they have time to actually learn. And then from there, Mm We're just coaching and cueing and, and, and asking for feedback and, and drilling technique. So, um, you know, I think communication is probably one of the most important things that you can really nail down when you're working with your clients. Because, um, you know, if you're using the same weight every single month and the set and rep scheme changes, something's wrong and something needs to change. So um, the sets and reps do matter. And I really just think it's a very, very simple, you know, uh, for example, dumbbell chest press, you know, week one, I mean, sorry, month one, four by 10, month two, four by seven, month three, four by four, four by five, right? Then if you follow that and you train hard in in the course of three months, you can you can get pretty strong, right? I mean, is it this perfect program where we're dealing with percentages? No, but it's a group training program, right? You're not going to be able to nail down exact sets and reps and use percentages because, um, you have an hour and you're trying to accomplish and a lot of the times as much as possible within that hour. So there's a lot that goes into it for sure. But I think just quality programming paired with effort, really good coaching and communication is the sweet spot.
1: Yeah. I just want to highlight the communication aspect there for just a second. Cause, uh, you know, in a one-on-one situation, the communication is assumed. Uh, there's only two of you, uh, and hopefully, there's words being exchanged. Uh, in a small group situation, all right, three to five people probably know each other to some extent. They, if especially if you have a consistent group at a consistent time frame, uh, going to be some communication that really builds uh, out of that. Um, group classes uh you can have a variety uh, uh, you you're going to have a section of people in the room that are your over communicators they're telling you how every rep of every set felt you're going to have your moderate communicators uh who at the end of the set will say maybe they'll give you an rp rating or something like that and then you're going to have the silent types and they're not going to want to say anything um, whether that's because they're in a group and they struggle with public speaking, um, even though somebody like myself who presents to groups of between you know 20 to a hundred plus people um, to to me that's not group groups public speaking but to them it is because they're they're not comfortable with it, which I get I'm fine cool. Know how these people communicate and have a strategy for, For for the people that are your silent types, hand signals, thumbs up, thumbs down, uh, you know, in the middle for, you know, it was okay, Um, you know, have different ways to build kind of the rapport and the communication. Those people that you've been doing thumbs up for a while will start going, hey, that was good. Like they'll, they'll hopefully maybe start, start communicating. And that that communication aspect, and and really um, allowing that to drive more than anything else, because uh, if you just hold somebody, what? Well, hey, Jane, I'm really sorry your shoulder's hurting, but it's it's four by ten day, so let's go get after it. That's probably not <laughs> the best strategy. Um, so you know, it's you have a structure but you certainly have wiggle room within the structure and you know, when you need to adapt and the communication is how that's going to happen. Uh, You can't intuit everything. And so, yeah, I I think that uh, that's, that's really key. And then never forget with any group, when you go beyond the one-on-one thing, there is a socialization aspect of what's going on. And um, you know, that doesn't mean that it's all, Rainbows and kittens, and talking about golf and grandkids, uh, but that's part of it.
0: Yeah, and, and there's a few things that I'll add to that. Is you know I always tell my coaches, um, guys, everybody gets uh, everybody gets a, a small conversation, and what I mean by that is, um, some people are gonna need um, some positive affirmation. Hey, man, you you crushed that last set, great job. Even if they're doing something really well, it doesn't mean that they do not deserve to be coached. It just means you're going to approach them in a little bit, slightly different fashion. Or if someone is doing something that is less than optimal, I I wouldn't be like, that really sucked. You shouldn't do that. I would say, hey, um, do you mind if I uh, give you a tip on that exercise? I really think it's going to make a big difference. Now, when you approach someone that in in a scenario that something needs to be fixed or it's not going well, you have to do it in a very loving and caring way. You're not going to approach it and go, "That, that was really, really bad. Let me try to fix it. But uh, I don't think if you go to a new client or a client at your gym and say, hey, listen, um, can I give you a little tip on this exercise? I really think it's going to help you out. I've never, No one has ever said no to me on that. So I think it's important to, to approach those scenarios in, in a way that is loving and caring and helping. And then that actually comes from a place of trying to make them better. I think that's super important. And um, also, there's going to be some times where you just have to say to someone, listen, man, I... I think you're, you're going a little bit too heavy here and I'm concerned that you're going to injure yourself. I think we should take a little bit of weight off the bar or maybe change this. Um, so I think all of those, those components within the group have to happen. And I think even, um, before you assign sort of the group in the exercises, I think one thing that's really, really important. And this goes back to communication is, is, Hey, listen, if any of you, um, know that one of these exercises are not going to be good for you. Please come find me and we can give you an alternative because a lot of people are embarrassed to speak up and say, this is going to hurt me, or this is not going to work for me. And you don't want them to feel singled out. So I think one of the best things you can do is say, Hey, listen, if, if you know that any of these things are are not a good idea for you, please, please let me know. And we can definitely give you an alternative because that that's our job. That's just called coaching. So I think if you create that environment where people don't feel intimidated to ask questions, I think they're going to feel more accepted. And to me, that is one of the most important things. And, and I'll be brutally honest with you. This is something that we're going to be trying to do for the for the rest of Skill of Strengths life, right? This is always something that we're trying to get better at, trying to be better communicators, trying to get better at coaching and queuing, trying to get better at programming. I'm never happy. And uh, it's a blessing and a curse, right? Um, It's a curse because I'm always trying to, um, I'm always trying to change things, and 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 you know, it's I'm never content with something that we do, and you know, as my wife, I drive her absolutely crazy, but I just Mm. I always am trying to find the most optimal way to get things done, and I think it's it's a blessing because we care, we give a damn about the outcome, and we give a damn about how people are going to feel, and. You know, it's not the it's not the sexiest thing. Right. And it's not going to be the best marketing uh, scheme out there. And we're not going to, you know, have a 30 day transformation challenge and promise that you're going to lose, you know, two gene sizes in, in a month. But um, in my opinion, it's the right thing. And I can sleep at night knowing that we're trying our damnedest to try to to educate people on the process and trying to really take care of people and trying to give them the best product possible and and that is what I try to preach day in and day out um and, and that's one of the things that our coaches agree on as well and and I think that if you truly care about the outcome of your clients um it will show
1: 100% so we uh we started at culture and we wound up at communication And, uh, I think that, uh, those two aspects and something that you mentioned, uh, a little bit ago, um, no one, whether it is, uh, individual small group or class large group, no one should ever feel hesitant to say, to, to a ask a question or B say, I I don't, I don't think it's a good idea for today. Can I have an alternative that, that alone will move things forward um a, a, a tremendous amount so um yeah i think we've probably given a lot uh, a lot of things for people to to think about as far as small group and and class uh training but again culture communication the modality the sets the reps the you know the the what you think is the secret sauce might not be the secret sauce uh to to what you have going on um so um, and thank you for sharing all the insights, uh, about how you do things at SOS and, um, you know, all of your, uh, just, just great tips there. So, um, there you go. Um, just, uh, small group, group training. Um, uh, if you want someone that specializes in, in one-on-one and you actually want to be a better one-on-one trainer, try to take some, try to teach some group classes or small group. If you're, primarily a group instructor and you want to get better at group instructing, do some individual classes. Uh, you'll start to realize there's some differences there and ways that those things can play off of each other and make you a better, uh, better coach, better trainer, um, better instructor. So, uh, or you could have no friends like I do and just train by
0: yourself for 20 years. <laughs> Come on. You have at least one friend. We have a podcast together. So at least give me a little credit, but um, <laughs> No. Um, but anyways, yeah. So, I mean, you know, kind of in closing, um, it's a never ending journey in my opinion, and there's always ways to get a little bit better. And, um, I I think the, the secret, if you really want to learn how to create a sustainable gym and a sustainable program is look at what the, the gyms that have been around are doing. Right. There's gyms that are popping up all the time. And the pandemic exposed a lot of gyms that, in my opinion, maybe didn't have the best uh, maybe business model or or for some reason, um, they they just didn't really have the best product to begin with. But I mean, if you really want to learn how to run a successful gym, you know, go look at facilities that have been open for 10 years. Right. I mean, that's going to, that's going to tell a lot about what you're doing. And I like to think at SOS, we're doing the right thing. Are we perfect? No, we're not. But, um, I think we own our, our stuff and we try to, we we are trying our best to continue to deliver the best product as possible. And, um, you know, we know that we're not for everybody and you can't be everything to everyone, but you know, I think if you do want to learn how to do something, learn from people that have been doing it successfully for quite some time. And, uh, I, I think, um, I, I think you'll see a lot of similarities between all those gyms that have been doing this for, you know, 10 plus years. And, uh, you know, I think the way that they run things, the way that they program, the way that they communicate, the way that they educate their staff, all, um, sort of all put together are going to be the the secret to the success. So, um, Brett, as always, man, it's, it's always good to chat. Um, for those of you that are listening, if you enjoyed this podcast, do us a favor, uh, please share, but also give us some positive reviews in whatever platform uh, you're listening on. So we will see you on the next episode. Awesome. Thanks so much, Mike. Thanks, everybody. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we're going to ask you for a favor. Please leave us some positive reviews. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast.